Bobby's coming to the break. The throw to Farrah. He steals it. Swung on and missed the perfect game. You can put it on the board. Yes. And welcome in, ladies and gentlemen, to the second episode of the High Heater Podcast. If you guys don't already know about what we are, we are a collaboration of the Unhinged Sports Network featuring Mitch from the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast, Jim from the J-Dash Show, and Jimmy Pilato finally joining us from the far end of the bench. He is now jumping in for the rest of the season. He will be here. Uh, He was away last week, but he's back this week, so we'll get to him here in a minute. We'll we'll get his intros and, and everything. But guys, if you if you don't already know, we had opening day this last week. It's been absolutely crazy. We've seen some of the most eventful first weekend in baseball in my my history that I can think of. We have a series that has seen some of the craziest home runs and not home runs. There's like been a cat on the field. We've seen the new extra innings play. We even had a record set in Chicago. Well, technically Anaheim, but same thing by a Chicago White Sox, which we'll get to Mitch here in a second to talk about that one. And then, well. Surprise, surprise, the Orioles aren't the trash of the AL East. Who would have thought? But guys, joining us back again from last week, Mitch Kaminsky from the Dorm Room Dispute Podcast. And Mitch, I just want to start with you, man. Obviously, your boy Mercedes just set a record going 8-for-8 in his first eight at-bats, the first guy to ever start out a season hitting eight straight, getting eight straight hits. How do you feel about the, the White Sox so far? Um, well, I'm not too happy with the way the defense has looked. Um, I don't know if you saw that clown show of a play last night, which kind of cost him the game in all honesty, where it bounced off Luis Roberts head. And he's usually a sure-handed, like, center fielder. He won a gold glove last year. So that was not good. Adam Eaton's already made two errors. He dropped a pop-up that almost cost us the game before that. Um, and the bullpen, which I thought was going to be the strength of this team, it's really not outside of Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet. It's really uh, struggled. So not too happy with the early returns, but it's still early. As far as Yerman Mercedes goes, though, I, I could not be uh, happier for him. I've been on the Yerman Mercedes hype train for a while just because he's like, it was almost like a meme because uh, like he came out of spring training last year. He's like a bigger, he's kind of like a big fat guy. You know, he's kind of funny looking and he was hitting bombs all spring training. He led all catchers in home runs. And he had a bunch of funny videos on his Instagram of him shirtless chugging uh, alcohol. So it's like, oh, I like this guy. I'll fit in perfectly with the socks. And now he's getting his shot. And he, he's he been uh, grinding in the minors for a while. He's played, he's played an independent ball. He's 10 years in the minors, the Dominican League. Uh, he played two seasons in independent baseball. So it's been a long time coming for him, and I, I could not be happier for him. He does have a lot of talent, and that's why Tony LaRusso trusts him. And it's funny, last night, he wasn't even supposed to play. Uh, Larusa put him in the lineup the first game just because he wanted to keep everyone fresh from spring training. But he was going to go back to the regular rotation at DH and catcher. And Tim Anderson's like, "Well, after that night first game, you're going to have to start him again." And Larusa's <laughs> like, "Yeah, I guess you're right." And it paid off. So, yeah, it's it's very unique because they, they the White Sox are one of the few teams, actually the only team, if I'm not mistaken, to carry three catchers technically. Yeah. Into the season. So Mercedes being that third catcher. Ironically, even though he just DHs. Yeah, he will not be seeing much time at catcher. They actually were working him in the outfield and stuff. So he's officially a catcher on the depth chart. I, I'd be very surprised though if he sees much time at the catcher position. But you are right. It is strange carrying the three catchers. And Eloy's injury kind of opened the door for him. Because yeah. LaRusse has said before like spring training, he's like, I don't see us carrying three catchers in the roster. And now you lose all that pop with Eloy Jimenez in left field. So it's kind of all all hands on deck. They need some more offense. And that's why he, he gave him the opportunity there. 
Yeah, exactly. And they do have a couple other injuries as well. They're only carrying 11 field players right now, which is a unique thing as well. So that's another thing, and we'll get to the White Sox probably a little bit later on as well. But moving on, back again from last week as well, Jim Mounier, the co-host of the J-Dash Show, commissioner of the network. Uh, Jim, I got to ask, your, uh, your Red Sox. Well, first of all, let me say this. You did a fantastic job calling the Yankees-Blue Jays game. I got to give you a lot of credit on that one. I, I, was, I gave you a lot of heat for that because I wasn't sure if you can keep your bias in check because you are a diehard Red Sox fan, but you did a fantastic job, man. And we got to see the first extra innings game. Mm-hmm. So that was that was a little interesting. But to your Red Sox, mm-hmm. I got to ask, you did say that you did believe they would get 500, get over 500, and you actually told Mitch, because Mitch said something about them not finishing over 500 last episode. And you told him, no, no, they'll finish over 500. Mm-hmm. I got I to gotta ask you officially right now, as they're losing going into game four of the weekend, or I guess technically game three. Do you recant your statement yet? Do you believe they'll still have, finish over 500? Or are you starting to question your your faith in your Red Sox after this atrocious series to the Orioles? Opening weekend, it's very strange. Baseball is very strange. 2004, the Red Sox won the World Series after starting the season two and six. So there's still a lot of work to be done, but I think right now the team that, that's on this field right now is not a 500 ball club. Uh, all of our big weapons are not hitting. Rafael Devers has somehow gotten worse in fielding. Can't find the bat either. And we have pitchers that can't find his freaking strike zone. So it's aggravating. But, you know, I love the sport. At the same time, I hate the sport. And I'm currently watching uh, the Orioles kick their ass right now. It's 10 nothing at the top of the fourth, third inning, two outs, and bases are still loaded. So it's never ending. Um, so, yeah, it's very difficult. But right now, I recant. I'll say they are flirting right now with 500. But they better win. They better find a way to win the series next week against uh, Tampa or it's going to get ugly very fast in Boston. Hey, hey Jim, do you think that they're going to hire a traffic cop for all the traffic on the base paths out in Fenway? No, they may just tell the grounds guy to turn on the irrigation. Fair enough. That'd be, that'd be the only defensive <laughs> play they'll have. So, yeah. Oh, goodness. And as as you guys just heard, Jimmy Pilato is, is back with us. So we're going to have a little bit of ribbing going on between these two pretty much all season long, um, especially every episode. We're going to have a little bit, as Jimmy is a Yankees fan, but we'll get to him in a second. Uh, I do also want to mention Orioles-Red Sox first game postponed. So I'm not counting the Nats-Mets because that's a whole different story we're going to get to. But the first game actually postponed, so we will get our first doubleheader from postponement sometime, probably next weekend when they play again. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, Well, Red Sox and Orioles? Or Sorry, two weekends from now. They play again in two weeks. Well, the Red Sox and Orioles? Yes. No, we were a three-game series. We had a scheduled day off. Oh, that's Friday. right. They, they combined. They okay, that's right. Again, they just so, pushed yeah. it back. And we play next weekend in Baltimore for a four game. There you go. That's the one I got confused. I flipped yeah. the weeks. All right. Now, joining us for the first time this season, Jimmy Pilato, co-host of Fire Under the Bench. Now, Jimmy, we didn't get a chance to do your introduction yet, so this is your moment to shine. Tell the people, obviously, who you are, what you're about. And we also want to get your favorite team. I kind of let the, the cat out of the bag already a little bit and but go ahead and go ahead and let let everybody know. Yeah, uh, like Kelsey said, co-host of the Far End of the Bench podcast, but Nico and I hold the title of the Unhinged Podcast of the Year in 2020. I know it's. It, I think Nico wrote that in my contract that any new show that we go on, we have to say that. So, uh, uh, and then I also I host Two for Chirping, 
on the Unhinged Sports Network, which is the hockey show. Carlos and I, when we get around to it, we do film room review. We haven't done one since February. Uh, and then Kelsey mentioned it last week, but we both kind of head up the blogs on the unhingedsn.com website. So a lot of different things that I do for the Unhinged Sports Network. Uh, but I'm excited to be here because I played baseball pretty much all my life and I kind of fallen off watching it. So this was a good reason to start watching it again. And yeah, well, I don't think we're, unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to get to see a world series from the Yankees, but I might get to see a hundred last season from the Rockies. So, Hey, either way we go Yankees or Rockies. Cause those are the two teams that I follow pretty heavily. I'll have some sort of history because it will either be 28 championships or a hundred game losing season. Yeah. Uh, not a bad combination of possible events for you. Uh, I mean, unless you're, unless you're hoping the Rockies don't get a hundred with hundred losses, in which case, well, then I feel bad for you. If you're, if you're hoping they were going to be better than that, then I'm sorry. <laughs> no, after, after that move with St. Louis, I think a hundred. So there was the, the talk around the Denver area was after the move to St. Louis, the Dodgers were already set up to win 110 games. And after that move, the Rockies are basically set up to lose 110 games. Once they trade Trevor Story, they'll probably start getting on the fast track to that end. But yeah, I, I think that's pretty safe to safe to say that they're not going to be that great in that West and uh, West for sure. Uh, but moving on from your favorite team, because obviously, as you said, Yankees Yankees are your favorite team. Uh, Rockies a close second for that for that. Uh, but mm-hmm. your favorite all time player? Who's your? It doesn't have to be from your favorite team. You can if you want. Uh, but who is your favorite all time player? Well, it goes into why I'm a Yankees fan because, like I said, I'm from Colorado. Uh, but I was a catcher and a closing pitcher all through my playing career. So Jorge Posada and Mariano Rivera are tied for favorite all time. I basically see them as one entity because you can't have one without the other. Um, but yeah, Posada really set an example example for the way I like to play catcher because I could hit, obviously I was the biggest kid on the field. So everybody knew that I could hit it to the fence, but if I did hit it to the fence, I'd struggle getting to first. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I like the way he played catcher, and then Mariano's best closer of all time. Yeah. Enter Sandman, uh, it's it's time for, yeah, Enter Sandman hitting. It's unfortunate that it won't ever happen again. I still just watch his intros every now and then because it gets me amped up. But, yeah, he those two are my favorite players. Yeah, and I think I think Jim and I talked about this on the, uh, the color cast about how we feel Enter Sandman should possibly, if there's a potential for a song to be retired, for a player. I feel like Enter Sandman should be retired for Mariano Rivera for that sheer fact of just when you hear it, that's my first thought as well. And anybody who lived through Mariano, that's our first thought. Um, but yeah, you, you hear Enter Sandman and you know that's it. That's the end of the <laughs> end of the inning and uh, might as well just pack it up and go home. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it's very, very safe to say. And now moving on from that, what is your favorite baseball memory? Now, this doesn't have to be just from watching. It doesn't have to be from playing. It could be from learning the game or just kind of goofing around in the backyard. Maybe you had some great wiffle ball moment where you hit it over a mini red monster. Um, I, I mean, however, whatever you whatever you deem necessary, but your favorite baseball memory of all time. Yeah. Um, I, I have – there's one from the backyard, but I could probably save that as a story because that's actually the reason why I got into playing baseball. That's, we can we can save that for some other time. My favorite baseball memory, though, we were out in the Omaha Slump Buster Tournament with my team in middle school, uh, right around the College World Series time. And in that tournament, I hit a total of four home runs and three in one game. But I think my favorite one, I, th- I think I hit one probably 420, 
over the fence, but I was catching that game and I was Swiss cheese behind the plate. It was terrible. I have no clue what was going on, but anything that came close to me was going to the backstop. But I made up for it, took out all my frustration on a ball, and I think we ended up winning that game. I can't really remember because, you know, I played football longer than I played baseball, a lot of head trauma and everything like that. But that was one of that tournament was just an overall great experience. One of the one of my favorite memories of playing baseball anytime. Yeah, now that's a fantastic one to talk about. I mean, you, you, that I've been in that that slump buster tournament before, and it was um, probably a couple of years before you were there. But yeah, that was uh, that was one of the more fun tournaments because you do play right there at the old it was the old college world series stadium at the time rosenblatt um when i was there and that's where we got to play at. and that was a lot of fun because you still had the zoo out in right field and you had all the other stuff going on and it was just a whole event so that's that's a really that's a really fun baseball memory to have um something like that so well we're glad to have you yeah and that was thank you no yeah. i would we we ended up spending some time in iowa and uh because they oh, sorry that year they had the tournament in like Iowa and in Omaha and all the different neighboring states because it was a flood season. There's a monsoon going on in Nebraska that year. So we had to kind of farm ourselves out. So I've been all over the Midwest, lots of cornfields. Yeah. That, I mean, you're not missing much. It's, it is just straight up cornfields outside of Chicago and Minneapolis. Um, you're just going to find cornfields or lakes. If you go into the great state of Minnesota, and it's just lakes and a little bit of road and then Minneapolis. That's all you find. Uh, but like I said, it's, we're glad to have you on because we're going to get a little bit of a rivalry all season between you and Jim um, with that Yankees Red Sox love. And you guys have a whole AL trio right here. These are the prime teams in the AL this season. I think it's safe to say with the White Sox, you have the Red Sox and you have the Yankees. Obviously, the Red Sox being the far worst of all the group. Uh, I'm just going to keep harping on this, Jim. I told you I wasn't going to be so mean to you normally. Like, yeah, I, I am on, on cover six. But unfortunately, you talked all that crap about the Red Sox in the first episode. So you got to come into it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 but speaking about having it coming to you guys we're gonna go around the horn brought to you by fanatics if you guys don't know what around the horn is it is our section where we talk about some of the news stories obviously not the main news stories because we'll get to those later but some of the other news stories that happened in this first weekend of baseball starting with opening day and well it finally happened boys we had our first benches clearing i'm gonna call it a kerfuffle because it wasn't actually a fight it, at least it didn't start to be a fight between the Reds and Cardinals, if you guys don't know what happened, Nick Castellanos slid into home, and the pitcher slid into cover on a pass ball. Castellanos was call, called safe, stood up over him, flexed on him. Well, let's just say Woodford didn't uh, didn't didn't appreciate it too much. He got right back in his face, and they they cleared the benches. Nothing really happened until they separated, and then a relief pitcher of all people decides to push the starting shortstop for the Reds, Eugenio Suarez. It was Jordan Hicks as a relief pitcher. Started started it in the in the outfield grass. In the outfield grass of all places. Not even not even around where the actual event happened. As they're all walking back to their their the bullpen respectively for the relief pitcher in the position for Eugenio Suarez. And that's where the fight actually started. That's where there's actually punches thrown. It, <laughs> I don't know what better way to say this other than to say, are relief pitchers just the biggest like cornballs in the world that just think they can they're better than everybody? Like what? What are you thinking if you're a relief pitcher and you're starting with this? And Jimmy, since you're the new guy on the block, we're going to start with you on this one because, like, really, what is what is what what is what is Hicks think? Or sorry, uh, yeah, what is Hicks thinking when he's when he's walking back to the bullpen here? I uh, I don't know what I mean. There's probably some some hurt feelings about somebody on his staff getting shown up a bit, but to go to your point about relief pitchers, 
they are a little bit different because the starters have a totally different mindset where they have to get ready to go as long as they can. Relief pitchers, you basically get put into the shit. You're like the army infantry that we put into the worst position possible. Say, hey, go get out of it. And uh, they, they are a little bit different. This one, I think everybody's just been bored. And there was fans in the crowd. And he's running back to the bullpen. He's like, you know what? I'll give, I'll give these guys a show. We, they haven't been able to come to the outfield or come to the field in over a year. Let's let's go. Let's let's push this guy and and see what happens. Um, I don't know. This whole thing seems like he was taken out of the Pedro Martinez, the book that he put out on how to win an MLB fight. Either do it after everybody else is not watching anymore or go after the oldest coach on the other side and, and throw him down to the ground. I don't it was a bad, bad look. If you want to see a real baseball fight, just look up Jose Batista getting clocked. That's a real baseball fight. Anything other than that has not been a real fight. I, I will counter that with saying Nolan Ryan. Um, he literally beat the crap out of a man on the mound. Yeah, who, who he hit. yeah exactly. Robin Ventura, of all people. Um, so, yeah, very, very – That's that, that one also, I'd say, was a, is a real fight as well. The, um, the Strickland on Harper, too, where he just – Oh, yeah. Where Harper missed the helmet throw, and then Strickland was like, yeah, that not a big hunter, not a big hunter Strickland fan. I'll be the first one to admit as a Giants guy, but I'll tell you what, that was the best moment of my life as a guy who's played against Bryce Harper in tournaments to see Bryce Harper just get beaned and then get punched in the face. I was like, oh, this is yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> but, did he did he hit him with that one? I thought he missed him. He just threw at him and then Harper got yeah yeah you know, you know he he just yeah he completely missed him yeah. But I mean, let's be honest, Hunter Strickland talks a lot of crap, so. It, it, well, I, I, mean, I kind of wish Hunter Strickland got punched in the face as well, because that would have been the best case scenario for both situations. But no, <laughs> but Mitch, we we talked about relievers. Obviously, you talked about one of your kind of token favorite players uh, being a, being a closer, and how we talked about how closers and relief pitchers in general just kind of have that weird mindset, and they're a different breed. Is this another situation where it's just a different breed of guy just trying to trying to get something going? Probably. I mean, they're just trying to feel useful. I mean, they sit in the bullpen dicking around all day. They just run in for their exercise in these fights usually. So I think they just wanted to feel involved. I actually think that my big takeaway from the fight was Yadimir Alina is a bitch. He's like, he's in the old man stage of his career where he's always starting stuff. Every time there's some sort of fight or something, he's always in the middle of it. He was starting stuff last year. And it's just, I think he's in the, that point of his career where he's just pissed off all the time. Like, it did not surprise me at all when it was like, yeah, Yadier Molina was in the middle of another another incident. So that, that was my big takeaway from it. Yeah, and it's it's funny you mentioned Yadi because this actually all kicked off when, when Castellanos was hit by Woodford. Uh, the Reds were already up 6-2 to at the time, and he, he beamed Woodford right in the ribcage, 92-mile-per-hour 92 92 slider that didn't move, hit him right in the ribcage. Um and, and, you know, Castellanos didn't like it too much. He, he he chatted with Yachty. Yachty said that, yeah, it was an accident. Of course it's an accident. You know, what are you talking about? We we all know that type of conversation that would happen between a catcher and a hitter right there. It was probably something along the lines of, nah, man, I don't know what happened at all. Like, I didn't give you the middle finger signal at all. Yeah, yeah don't dig in next time. The next one might be coming at your head. <laughs> yeah, and then Castellanos being the guy that he is, uh, talk about an ego, pick the ball up and, and literally hand, tried to hand it back to the pitcher. Like, Hey, you want this back? I got a present for you. Yeah. So, you know, that's how this all kicked off. And of course, as you mentioned, Yachty's in the middle of it. It was a shame that Castellanos got ejected too. Cause like, I think, and I can see why the pitcher was upset because he's flexing on him after he just scored. He just gave up a run. He threw a horrible pitch. So I get why it was bad, 
But like yeah, that emotion and stuff like that, that's what the game needs. You need more of that. That was like, it was fun. It was a fun moment. And then he gets thrown out. It was like, yeah. come on, what, what are we doing here? Yeah, like I, I love flex. I love some emotion. I don't mind the flexing. I, as a former pitcher, I'm like, I get it. I get being pissed off that a dude just flexed on you. But my answer to that is, well, first of all, why'd you hit him? Secondly, why'd you throw a shitty breaking ball that flew over the catcher's head? Third, why didn't you cover the plate in time? That's all three things on you, not not on the hitter. So you know what? He has the opportunity to flex. Next time, I maybe hit him in the head. Right. That's my answer. But I'm old school, so you know what do I know? But Jim, Jim, what's your what's your takeaway from this one? As as we look at this these these bench clearing kerfuffles, we'll call them because they're not real fights anymore. Uh, first off, when I heard about a bench clearing brawl, I'm like, oh wow, opening weekend. What happened? Did someone hit somebody? Like killed somebody or something. I realized it was Cincinnati and St. Louis, and I was like, oh, okay, okay, that's irrelevant. Never mind. I, I didn't take two seconds. Then I saw the actual footage and the the meme that is the guy flexing. I'm like, okay, this is pretty intriguing. So I watched what's happening. I heard one thing that it's because someone hit a home run like in spring ball, and I'm like, you're holding a grudge from spring ball? This is week, what, first week of the year, first game of the season, and we're already brawling? Jesus. Um, why don't we just actually have legit fights now? It's very – it can't get back to the Yankees and Red Sox fights because when they actually brawl, there's actually legit fighting going on, or the Cubs and the Cardinals when they fight, the Dodgers and the Giants when they fight. It's like when it's not division rivals, they just like go in there and go, hey, 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 hey. It's like they all come together and they break apart and like whatever. It's it's the first game of the season. I was like, when I heard that, I'm like, we're going to be like this. All right. All right. Can we just fix the baseballs first? Okay. Uh, but anyways, it I, it was nice for headlines, but it's too early if it's a grudge from, the, uh, from freaking spring ball. So uh, it's too early. Yeah, spring training grudges are the funniest thing to me. Like, you literally have a grudge from a time where I'm half asleep playing baseball. I'm, honestly, if I'm a starter and I'm a guy who I know is going to start in the regular season, they're honestly probably hungover. They're, yeah. they're not sober at that point in time. Let's be completely honest. They don't really care at that point in time. There's no unwritten rule or anything about spring ball. It's just a silly thing. It's I will say, though, it's a shame there was no Yasiel, Yasiel Puig or Aroldis Chapman involved in this one for the Reds because considering how feisty those two can get, there might have been some actual punches thrown in this event with the Cardinals. So I think if they walked out, everybody would have just gone home. They're like, oh, yeah, uh, no, I, I think we worked it out, actually. I'm going to go sit down in the dugout. That's what I'm going to go do. You know, on second thought, I'm going to go, uh, yeah, I'm going to go take a shower. Uh, I, I'm ejecting myself. Bye, guys. Yeah, I'm out of here. Uh, but as, Jim, as you mentioned, the baseballs are an issue with a lot of people. You know, whether they're too dead, they're too active. Somewhere in between. Well, it wasn't an issue in Milwaukee, between Milwaukee and Minnesota. And by the way, the biggest biggest upset to me, I've, I think, happened in the all-off season. There's no longer a Miller Park for the Brewers to play in. It's now American Life Insurance, something like that. American Family Insurance Park. It's the worst name change I've seen in the history of baseball. It, it should be Miller Park brought to you by American Family. That's just my two cents. But anyways... I don't know. I think the Buffalo Bills will beat that. Here they have a name change with their stadium now too. Yeah, who cares about the Bills? They they 
this is baseball season, it's man. Like this... life insurance and health insurance incorporated Buffalo Stadium. I'm like, what the hell? Yeah, but, but literally, like a team named the Milwaukee Brewers plays yeah. in Miller Park. That just makes sense. They don't play oh, in American no Family Park. Insurance Park. That just doesn't make sense. But as I said, baseballs were not a problem as they sent a no hitter for the first time since 2014. Both starting pitchers, Corbin Burns from Milwaukee and Jose Barrios from Minnesota, had a no hitter into the seventh inning. Before Byron Buxton for the Minnesota Twins completely rocked Corbin Burns and sent a shot out to right center field, a home run to break it up. And then on the flip side, Jose Barrios never got a chance to defend his no-hitter as he was pulled before his appearance in the seventh inning. And yet again, we see a combined no-hitter fall less than, a, less than an inning later. And I got to I gotta ask you guys, we'll start with, with just the, the combined no-hitter aspect of this. Do you guys like seeing, whether it's the first game of the year, we'll talk about the World Series with Blake Snell, or any other situation where a pitcher who is carrying a no-hitter who has less than 100 pitches through seven innings gets pulled? Is, is, is anybody okay with that? Mitch, we're going to start with you. I, it depends on the situation. In the particular one with Minnesota, I think that was ridiculous considering the stuff he had, and he was under 100 pitches, like you said. There's really no need to, like, I get the whole analytics portion of it, but I think if a guy has a no hitter and he looks good and he's still under a hundred pitches, then you got to let him go out and keep trying for it, especially in a regular season game, the world series one, like it was a bad decision and I don't agree with it, but I can understand it. It's like, yeah, I don't give a, like, we're just trying to win a game. You're not thinking like I need him to get his like no hitter, but I, I think that, I think that was a little ridiculous little ridiculous by rock about the whole third time through the order thing is completely overrated and i think it actually comes back to hurt a lot of these teams if you overuse your analytics because your bullpen is going to get taxed if you you, you do it i think we saw that in philadelphia gabe kepler did that all the time and that look what happened to them that bullpen got stretched very thin very quickly um even with the i mean with the White Sox, their first game with Lucas Giolito, third time through the order, and they, they pulled him, and it came back to bite him. So I, 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 don't, I don't like it. I thought Barrios was throwing it very well, and he was under 100 pitches. So I don't know. Yeah. There was really no reason to pull him. So Yeah, I, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Jimmy, what about you? Do, you? do you think it was a good idea for them to pull him before he had a chance to at least go out for the seventh inning? or? Uh, you, you see, I, I, like Mitch, understand that analytics is a part of the game and it's probably not going to go anywhere and I'll probably seem like I'm contradicting myself once we get to when we're talking about the Rockies baseball is such a feel game anyways use the analytics but if you've played you understand when a guy is on when he should be pulled or anything like that more than some number is going to especially I think you know this was I think he should have had a chance to defend his no hitter I don't understand really especially this early on in the season, like the analytics brought people in, but the analytics can also take away your diehard baseball fans that want to see guys be able to compete at the highest level. The world series one, that, that, that's, that's the definition of a choke job. And if that doesn't <clears throat> prove to you that you should use analytics, but you should use your head along with the analytics, I don't know what will, if you just go purely off the numbers, purely off analytics, You'll get so far, but you're going to end up looking like an idiot when you pull a guy who's dealing in the World Series and you end up losing a World Series to a team who hasn't been able to get over that hump. Or in this case, you don't even let a guy like, how do you think that guy feels if you were the pitcher, if you're Barrios and your managers like, oh, analytics say we got to take you out. 
I'm not going to give you the chance to come out and defend your no hitter that you got going. We'll see you the next time you're in the rotation. We'll see you in five days. I don't want to play for that guy. I, if, if you pull me and I have that going for myself, F you, I'm, I'm sitting out. I'm, I'm going to demand to trade something. Send me back down to AAA because they at least compete every they, That manager will let me compete all the time. That's, that's where I think I have a bigger problem with this. Yeah. And no doubt. And, and to your point, both of you guys point, he had 12 strikeouts up to this point through, through six full innings. He had 12 strikeouts and we're talking about Jose Barrios who has a career 4.15 ERA. So this is his once in a lifetime opportunity for a no hitter. Like, let's be honest. You only get maybe if you're an average pitcher, one a lifetime. If you're an advanced pitcher, maybe five. He's right. It is such a feel thing too. Cause like you could tell he had electric stuff. Like you, there's some days that you, you just, you have it. Cause like not all no hitters are created equal. You'll have see some of if they're, if they're hitting the ball hard off of you, you're losing some control. Then it's like one thing, but he was dominating. His stuff was electric. There was no need. There was definitely no need to, to pull him there. I, that was that's an excellent point. Yeah. It's, it's just blasphemy. Jim, I want to get your opinion on this one as well. Obviously gets pulled before he gets a chance to defend his, his no hitter in the seventh Had 12 strikeouts up to the point career 4.15 ERA. If you're Jose Barrios, as, as Jimmy mentioned, how do you feel coming into your next start? Your, your, your coach just pulled you when you're having quite literally his best game of his career. I mean, how do you feel going into your next start? If you're Jose Barrios, do you feel good because of what you did or do you feel like crap because you got pulled before having a chance to finish it? Really? I think you, you feel good that you, you get your groove, but you'll feel like crap. Like you got something taken away from you. You have a chance to have a no hitter on your record. And, and, Usually, when you only select a few pitchers, even get to that stance. And in this game, you had both guys in the seventh inning just dealing. And when I saw the Barrios room, uh, news on Twitter the other day, I was like, okay, did uh, Kevin Cash all of a sudden go coach uh, the Milwaukee Brewers? Uh, get that Blake Snell uh, strategy. It's, I feel bad, but. If I was a pitcher, if I was Bears like he did, that's still a great performance no matter what. Yeah, that carries over to your next game. But, yeah, it stinks that you won't get a no-hitter. And you always want a no-hitter. But it, it's this today's day and age of baseball, it's all analytical. It's all about, you know, strategy. It's not about if you go out there and throw your arm dead. Um, but, hey, it's a it's the time in baseball is now. It's I think managers, in my opinion – and GMs look into the analytics way too much in any game they they, they, they they get a coach or they play and just just let the players play. And when the analytics start getting involved, that's when you get some questionable decisions. We saw that in the World Series last year, and we saw this this that this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. And and now one thing I do want to bring up about this because it's it's literally the perfect timing considering we had this conversation about the new rules last week. If this is a doubleheader, a seven-inning game, do you think this changes things? Because he's he's already there. Let's say let's we'll start with Corbin Burns. Corbin Burns is in the seventh inning, in the last inning of this game, still dealing a no-hitter. And then Barrios on the other side sees that no-hitter go. You're up one run, and you're dealing a no-hitter into the seventh inning. You have a chance just three outs away from getting a no-hitter. Does the does the mentality do you think change if this was a doubleheader game? And Jim, we'll start with you. Uh, does the mentality change if this was a doubleheader? Yes, uh, because it's a seven innings. Um, I, like we discussed last week, do 
perfect games and no hitters count for seven inning games like they do for the nine inning games. And if this was a doubleheader and this was either the first or second game, yeah, I think he keeps them in there no matter what. Uh, you want to keep that, you know, one nothing lead or chance to get a no hitter. It, it, it's that's with the new rules. That's why I don't like. But same time, if you got to take the advantage if it's presented to you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jimmy, I want to start with you because you didn't have a chance to talk about the new rules last last week with us. How, what would your opinion be if you were in that position and this were a doubleheader game? Would would you also say, yeah, okay, you get to go out no matter what? Or if you were the manager, you just saw your team take the lead in the top half of the inning, would you still pull him and bring in your closer at that situation to try to get the win? Or would you let Barrios go out and give him his chance? I would – uh, I'm a bad person to ask because I'd still let him go out and get his chance, even, you know, seven innings, nine innings, like Jim said, um, just giving the opportunity for a guy to go out there. And if he gives up a base runner, then you can like you put up your closer getting form at that at that point. If we're talking about the scenario, you, scenario you laid out, get your closer up, get him warm. But then as soon as the guy gives up a base runner or anything like that, OK, I give you your shot. You lost your no hitter, but. At least you gave him the opportunity to defend it or lose it himself instead of just taking it out of his hand. And <clears throat> I don't know. I, I, if I was Barrios, like I said, I'm not playing again for that guy. Or I'll play again. And if this, if something similar happens, if you take away something else that I'm trying to get done, I'm done with you. I'll, I'll sit out before I play for that guy again. Yeah. And and Mitch, I just want to just round this out with you. Uh, are you kind of the same mind of Jimmy and Jim? Whereas this is, I mean, doubleheader, especially with that seven inning name, you're letting him go out there, or or maybe like even with Jimmy saying, if you're Barrios, you're just kind of like, if he pulls me, I'm done type of situation. How do you feel about that? Uh, I would understand the, the the competitor portion where you'd be pissed off, but I don't know if I'd be done with you because he's, it, it's 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 the point. He's he he's been kind of underperforming for his career with the twins so i don't think he's really in any position like if it's like a established pitcher in this league then like yeah i could see where he'd be frustrated but jose barrios has not reached that level yet where he can be like i am done with you we have like it's i mean it, it sucks it's frustrating but um you know it's you know in the end of the day he's getting paid to manage i'm getting paid to pitch so like you know i gotta i gotta listen to what he says yeah, yeah, I, I get that, and and I feel like that's a lot of what the Rays maybe are going through right now as well with Cash. I was gonna say most of my disdain for this situation comes from the World Series and the fact that analytics gave the Dodgers their World Series championship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anything that gives the Dodgers a World Series championship is already gonna give me a negative taste in my mouth. So um, I can't agree more with that statement. I already hate it's analytics. That's so much worse too for the analytical purposes. The the guy they pulled Snell. Like if you're gonna pull him, it's one thing. But the guy they pulled him for was analytically worse against Mookie Betts than Blake Snell had been in that series, whoever that scrub was. I'm blanking on the name. But I remember, like, looking at the numbers, and, like, over his career, his splits versus Mookie Betts were a lot worse than Blake Snell's were. And he'd been lit up the previous two outings he'd been in. So, like, analytically, that didn't even make a whole lot of sense. It was kind of like a, it was a middle finger to both, uh, both sides of baseball. Yeah, I think to your point, I think uh, Mookie Betts was hitting close to 600 off of the guy that came in and relieved Blake Snell, which is just an absolutely atrocious <laughs> moment to pull somebody for, somebody who's hitting close to 600 off of you, and that's who you go face in the World Series, up a run and holding a no-hitter. Um, just crazy to, to me. But continuing our, our theme of the new rules coming into play, we got our first taste of the extra innings game. Jim and I actually got a first-hand taste of this, as we called the 
uh, Yankees Blue Jays game, the very first game of opening day, as that game went into ten innings. But there were three other games that also went into went into extra innings. And ironically, out of all ten, out of all four games, they all happened on opening day. Not a single extra inning game since then. And three out of the four games, the home team manages to win. All stayed in the tenth inning. None of them went past the tenth inning. Um, the only game where away team won was the Blue Jays game, ironically. Uh, but what do you guys think of that new rule? Like it, obviously, we have our first taste of it through four games. It's been very quick, very efficient, I think it's safe to say. Uh, but, Jim, since we had first experience with it, I want to start with you on this one. Uh, what did you think of this this 10th inning, extra inning rule? Don't like it. I, I still don't like it. Uh Get me at least two to three innings of normal baseball before we get into the putting the person on second base. Do it like how softball does in college. After the 13th inning, they put a person on the second base for the uh, extra innings. Don't do it instantly right off the bat. I know they're trying to speed up the game. I know they're trying to make it more exciting. But if you have a 2-2 two, two duel and, and, extra, and go to the extra innings and the game could finish 10-6, to six, or something like that. That's ridiculous. That's it's it's not baseball. It's you're just trying to escape or shorten the game span. And if you're going to do it, in my opinion, do it like how softball does in college. Give me at least 13 innings, then do the person on second. Make it at least be competitive. Like you played nine innings like a normal game. Why do this? So, but the question that I got for you, Kelsey, is will they do this same extra inning BS in a seven game game a seven game doubleheader? That's or will they continue? Or will they continue the regular game until nine innings? Then do the extra inning. That's what they're uh, assuming, I guess, is going to happen. As as we as we know, they haven't mentioned anything about the actual playoff format, so we don't know for sure. But yeah, I'm assuming, true. I'm assuming it's safe to say this is a bit major rule change for all of Major League Baseball, which includes the playoffs. Um, so to your point, yeah, that'll be a very interesting thing to see in the playoffs. Yeah. Um, now, Mitch, I want to take it to you on this one. What were your thoughts seeing these these extra inning games throughout the the first opening day? Um, I, it's kind of exciting right off the bat. Cause you have the guy on second and scoring positions so they're automatically in a jam and there's some strategy with it. I just think it's kind of like a gimmick. It's like the shootout in hockey. Like, yeah, it's kind of fun, but I would never want to see a playoff game or something important decided by a shootout. So like, if this was, if the rule continues to the playoffs, then I'm going to have a bigger problem with it. I mean, for now in the regular season, it's, it's whatever I I, my opinion, though, like, and I, I said this last week, I think baseball is already such a such a great game that, like, why would you want less baseball and why would you want to mess with it like that? But, uh, you know, it's – I can see for the casual fan where it would be exciting. I just hope it doesn't stick around for the postseason because it's kind of – it's a little gimmicky uh, for my liking. Yeah, no doubt. And, and now, Jimmy, you actually had a, uh, a horse in this race, if you will, as, as you are a Yankees fan. And I do also actually want to pose a second question to you on this one because not only do I want to get your opinion on the extra innings, but – the Yankees had a lot of great chances in this game to take a lead, considering we'll talk about the eighth inning alone, you know, first and third, and they still blow it. And they're they're unable to score. And so that's 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 one alone. And then they couldn't score again in their bottom half of the tenth inning to take advantage. So do you think this is right for teams who have all, all the opportunities throughout the game and they still end up losing it because they blew all their other opportunities in the regular portion of the game? Or you know, what's your thoughts on this whole thing? I don't mind the California rule, especially because this is, uh, it's a dying game. I will be the one to say that and I'm going to continue to harp on it. I know we all love it and we would watch it no matter what, 
baseball is probably the fourth of the four major sports in in the United States. There's just the way that they've handled their social media. Their commissioner is is tanking a game himself. That's basically what he's doing. Nobody's going to pay to watch baseball highlights. Put it up on social media so that you can get more people to tune into the game's exciting moments. Um, so I think that they had to try something. To Mitch's point in the playoffs, I think it would be interesting to see how this would – because this is going to affect it. It's already affecting stuff. You have the opportunity – you have such a good opportunity as the home team in, with this rule. There's there's way too much of an advantage to have it in the playoffs, so I'm not sure what they're going to do. Um, but I think with a team like the Yankees, if they can't – we saw it in the eighth inning. They can't win small ball anyways, and that's basically what the California rule lends itself to. If you're a team that can play small ball, you're at an advantage there. I don't think that it should be changed just because some teams are inept at doing that. If some teams in the league are, if they can't hit a home run, they're not going to score runs. And the Yankees happen to be one of them. Um, so I don't, I wouldn't take it away because then the Yankees, I wouldn't take it away because the Yankees would be better for it. I would keep it. And if you can deal with it, you can deal with it. But at this point, it's something that everybody's going to have to get used to. And hopefully the Yankees can figure it out, but I don't have faith in them doing it right now. Fair enough. And now, anybody, now, I just want to, before we move on, I just want to make sure, does anybody else have anything they want to add to this extra innings rule? Because I know I can go off on it, but I want to see if anybody else has anything they want to go before we move on. No, okay. So, first of all, my first thought is I agree with everybody about the, the whole thing and being kind of just stupid if it goes in the playoffs. I don't agree with it being in the playoffs because, as Jimmy mentioned, complete advantage to the home team. Absolutely. And as we see, three out of four games already decided were won by the home team. The only reason the Blue Jays won is because they hit a shot that bounces over a six foot seven man's head twice. That doesn't that doesn't happen normally. That's a fluke play to begin with, in a fluke position in the field when the right field in, in Yankee Stadium, in which normally that ball goes out of out, out of out of the park anyways. But to your point, this is this is this is a thing that leads to small ball. So Will, we had a long conversation about this last week about hitting in baseball, and I want to take this and move this into that position. Do we see that if this does continue in the extra innings and we do see it in the playoffs, do we see teams maybe form themselves into more of a small ball capable unit in the, in the playoff stretch? Whereas we have a team like the Yankees, as you mentioned, Jimmy, that are big hitters, the Dodgers, big hitters, Padres, big hitters, but there's teams out there like the Rays, like the Marlins who are small ball type of caliber teams. Do we see those teams having a little more success if they can make it into an extra inning with this rule? And Mitch, I want to start with you. Yeah, I, I could easily see it. Cause a lot of it is about situational hitting, like we talked about. And so if you're not relying on the home run, you're probably a little bit better. If like all of a sudden an outside pitch and started trying to pull it over the fence, you drive it to right field, which helps a lot. And I think the dead in baseball is it'll be interesting to see how that affects things too. If how, you know, if the long ball is going to be as prominent this year, I think there's enough good hitters where like you'll still see plenty of home runs, but it's definitely, it should definitely go down from what we've seen. So I think it definitely provides an advantage to these, these teams that play small ball. And you see it all the time, especially from watching the, the first three games of this White Sox series. If you put a ball in play, genuinely good things happen. And if you're a home run hitting team, it's usually you're either hitting a home run or you're striking out balls in play help. Cause you're putting pressure on a defense and, uh, when you do that, sometimes good things can happen. It, it's, uh, the Angels have proven so far they, these first three games this season. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they've gotten a couple of fluke bounces off the head and and some other crazy situations. Uh, but but Jimmy, I, I, to your point about the the Yankees being a big hitting team, I mean, 
if you were to if this were to move into the extra in, into extra innings, do you see the Yankees trying to adapt Aaron Boone to adapt maybe a play style that could be conducive to pull out in an extra innings type of ball game? I would think that they would have to. Um, and <clears throat> I know nobody's going to cry about the Yankees having to figure out how to reshape their lineup because we all make the joke any big deal that signed any other team three or four years into the contract is going to end up a Yankee or a Dodger because they have the money to to front it but I think that they would have to at least start if you're going to have you're not going to have all eight guys nine guys who can hit be able to hit home runs you're going to have to start getting guys like Brett Gardner with speed and knowledge of how to run the base paths because that's the other thing you can the California rule is great, but if you don't understand base running, it's not even that much of an advantage to have a guy on second. If the guy on second doesn't know strategically how to get from there to the home to home plate, it's not going to matter. Um, but I think, you know, the fielding aspect adds a lot to it too, because a lot of these teams that hit home runs are terrible in the field. And that's what we saw with New York. That's why they lost the overtime or the extra innings rule. Um, so I think that there's there's going to have to be some shift if this continues. If the rule continues, that's what it's going to be. But once the rule, if this is a one-year trial and then it goes back to the way it was, I'm not expecting to see huge shifts early on. It's going to have to be like two or three years. Okay, this is going to be a thing from now on. Let's go ahead and try and figure out how to shape this lineup a little bit better. Yeah, definitely. And and now, Jim, I do want to ask you kind of an expansion on this question. If – this rule were to continue, as Jimmy mentioned, for three plus years, and it becomes a permanent sta- staple in baseball. Do we see guys like the old school five tool players, the Tony Gwynns of their their era? Not really, not saying everybody can be Tony Gwynn, but that type of a player who is able to go both ways, who has a fantastic glove, you know, who is a a guy who knows his role and is able to do everything and not just hit for power or strike out. Do we see those type of players get drafted more and more often in the top? top of the draft going forward? And, and do we see them progress further in, in minor league baseball than what we do now? Because there's guys in minor league that can do all these things, but they don't hit for a high average. They don't hit for a high number of home runs. They don't have a high analytical standpoint. They have a high wins above replacement, but that's the only analytic they could possibly win because of the way they play. Do we see those guys make make, make a reappearance in the game and become a bigger part of the game? Yeah, I, I do, because if we're going to keep this extra innings, you want guys to get the ball in play, adds pressure on defense. Basically, you're going to see a lot of Dust Pedroyas coming back into the, the fold. You know, the guys who, you know, can hit the ball opposite field. The one thing I've noticed so far, especially with the Baltimore series, is every batter in Baltimore hits opposite field. Um, they, they don't have big names, but they're getting doubles hitting the ball down uh, opposite field. Being the freaking uh, um, what do you call it? shifts, uh, but what Major League Baseball and what teams are going to try and find it's like what they do all the time right now. They try and find the next Derek Jeter, who has some power, who's a great defender, but is a, a singles doubles machine, and or uh, Zuki, uh, uh, what's the guy's name that currently is in Seattle? Forgot his name. Not Suzuki. Uh, he just hit a home run two nights ago. Uh, he led the, his team in doubles and singles, and he, uh, he has like, I think it's Lewis. He only had like six home runs last year, but he led the AL in doubles. I think yeah, it's rookie, Seattle. Rookie, yeah, rookie of the year. Yeah, yeah, he was rookie of the year last year. That's why I think baseball is going to be going towards if the extra inning rules in effect. Now they're so they're not going to shy away from shy away from the big home run hitters. You're not going to shy away from an Aaron Judge if he's out there. 
Uh, you're going to try and get him in the system, but I do see you're going to see a lot more play teams get small ball if this becomes a not just this year, but in future years, because as what Jimmy said, home field advantage to uh, the home team during these extra inning rules, because you just need a little single and the game's over. So, and and I feel like a big part of that could could actually come into play is that forty man roster, uh, the September call ups and the forty man roster. You might see a couple of playoff teams taking advantage of that and bringing in some of the guys from their minor league that can do those type of things. And maybe they play a bigger part in their playoff roster down the stretch. Um, because we've seen a lot of cases. I'll take the Giants, for example, who their biggest star, quote unquote, in their World Series years, mostly didn't play in the in in the their title runs. I mean, they just didn't select them for the roster. And that's just because they couldn't bring enough to the table to actually help them. So maybe that's something we see going forward. Maybe this is this weird extra inning rule turns out to be a positive for the game down the road. We'll see. Um, but that is some something to think about doing it down the road. But we're going to turn the corner here. We're going to go to the what in the world section. And if you guys don't know what we're about to do, this is a bizarre moments that we've seen so far. And we are seeing one of the craziest series I can even remember in the in my history of watching baseball right now in Denver between the Rockies and Dodgers. And if you guys don't know what, what happened, we'll start with game one. Cody Bellinger hits a absolute bomb. But Justin Turner, who was on base at the time, thought the ball was caught and ran back to first base. And the umpires call him out. And so he gets he hits a home run, gets credited for an RBI single. But he doesn't actually get it. It's a one run instead of a two run home run. Very, very weird. Then fast forward to Friday, Trevor Bauer doesn't give up a hit through six innings. And then the Rockies in the seventh inning tie a, or set a franchise record for most home runs in an inning with four home runs in the seventh. But not to be outdone, then, you know, the, they we have the moment dubbed the Coors Cat getting on the field. And that just fiasco. And then again, not to be outdone, this series continues to get weird. And a home run that should be hit, the first, what counts as the first home run of the Dodgers season, turns out to be an inside the park home run that bounced off the glove of the outfielder that was already going out of going out of the park. So this whole thing is just getting crazier and crazier day after day. And by the way, the Dodgers just happened to have won two out of three games. They didn't. Even, they haven't even be able to been able to handle the 110 loss Rockies prediction, <laughs> as as we've all expected the Dodgers to turn out. They're not even top in the NL West. So have. And if we look at this series, guys, what is everybody's take on this? And Jimmy, since you are the, the Rockies follower, we're going to start with you on this one because this has just been a, a nutty series, I feel like. Yeah, I was going to say you should throw in the fact that the Rockies won the first game of the series as another crazy thing that happened that we weren't expecting. Um, it's, it's weird, but it did open up because I've been very hard on the Rockies. If you listen to the far end of the bench, Nico and I, uh, we we dropped them as one of our followings. He's a Rocky Mountain Vibes fan now because he he thinks that he doesn't watch MLB baseball. He's not going to watch minor league baseball. Um, but the I think it opened up, especially that first opening day game. It it opened up some things where if the Rockies want to commit fully to Moneyball, they might be able to win eighty games. I'm not going to give them any more than that. But overall. It's just opening day, and everybody already knows that Coors Field is one of the weirdest parts to play in because of the altitude, and that's why the four home runs in an inning makes sense, and, and that's why you see all these high scores on, on the games. But I, I, I don't I don't know. People, 
I, I almost think that the cat was planted because the Monfords don't care if the Rockies win. They just want people to come to the stadium. And now since they've dubbed it the Coors Cat, they, they're kings of branding. They're going to get people to come back and see if they can catch a glimpse of the Coors Cat. You know, let alone that you have a eighth grade roster out on the field. You, you're just there so that people can hopefully see a straight cat. Yeah, absolutely. I, if To continue the cat story, the cat actually managed to escape from the second guard who grabbed it after scratching the heck out of the first guard. Uh, the second guard with gloves happened to be going to set it outside before he escaped down the service tunnel of Coorsfield. So the cat is still roaming the the uh, the the confines of Coorsfield to this day. Um, and now, Mitch, we talked about this a little off air to add a little bit more weirdness to the series. The closer for the Rockies, uh, we've all seen the movie The Rookie. The closer for the Rockies is this, quite essentially the embodiment of the rookie. Uh, I, I mean, this is just absolutely crazy. What do you think about all this going on? Yeah, Dan, well, that, that series just shows why you play the games uh, because on paper you would think it will be a blowout. It is basically, uh, like Jimmy said, a, a little league team going out there uh, on paper. It's not a whole lot to that roster. But opening day uh, in the, the Vegas odds, they said 19% of tickets were on the Rockies. Everything else was on, on the Dodgers winning that game. And what do you know? They came out and pulled off the uh, the mini upset. So that was uh, that was fun to see. Uh, and then the game two as well. Uh, Trevor Bauer had the no hitter going through six, and then ended up giving up four runs. So that warmed my heart to see because I don't like Trevor Bauer all that much. But um, yeah, I mean for the Rockies, you you kind of it, it's just going to be for them. It's going to be a long season. They want to get fans in. It's just going to be about the marketing, the cat, and their feel good stories at the closer. I believe his name is Daniel Bard. I want to say. Yeah. Um, yeah, Daniel yeah. Bard. Used to be a uh, like mental health coach like for uh, teams, and they were like, "Hey, the guy's kind of got an arm," and now he now he's closing out games for the Rockies. So good feel good story there. But um, otherwise, there's really not a whole lot to talk about in positively in Colorado these days as far as baseball is concerned. So. Uh, it's nice that they kind of they made a couple of headlines, I guess, opening weekend because uh, they should enjoy it. It's not going to last very long. Yeah, no, definitely. And and speaking of headlines, the uh, like I said, the first home run for the Dodgers was an inside the park home run, and and Jim uh, McKinstry, who's the rookie who happened to hit the inside the park home run, had a chance for his first actual home run before Tapia, the outfielder, was a, was a, attempted to bring it back over over the wall in a very Jose Canseco esque manner. Except for it didn't bounce off his head. It instead bounced from his glove back into the field of play. How do you think this rookie feels? I mean, he comes in here. He ha- he has his first jack of the season in Coors Field. It's perfect. It's all set up. And it gets brought back. And all of a sudden, you have to sprint your ass around the bases and try to score. Like, And you end up with a with an inside-the-park home run, something very few players have ever done for their first career home run, mind you. So how do you feel? How do you feel if you're McKinstry after this one? Do you think he has a little bit of luck in his, in his eyes, or is this just, just one of those things that he's just going to write off as being baseball, being baseball. I think baseball being baseball, honestly, um, it's, that's the game you can, like I literally watched here in Boston game a couple of days ago, uh, JD Martinez hit a ball with the 145 mile an hour exit velocity, whatever. And it was just a pop up to center field. Um, it's just, the game is odd. It just it punishes you and it rewards you. It reward it rewards people with mistake hits and punishes people with god awful hits. And it's just you know it's a weird game. In his case, first game, course field, rookie opportunity. Yeah, it's baseball. It's baseball guys. And nah, not today. Good good going, kid, but not today. 
Yeah, and he joins, by the way, 18 players total who have uh, managed to be the first home run being an inside the park home run. So it's still very, a good achievement, but still, yeah, very unique, very unique. But you rather have one. it, uh, you rather have it go over the wall except for running your ass around four bases to get to home play. So yeah. If he couldn't put it over the wall in Coors Field, he doesn't deserve to have the home run over the fence. <laughs> Spoken like a true Rockies follower there. If it, if it doesn't fly out in, in Coors, it won't fly out anywhere. Everything goes out in Coors. Just like Yankee Stadium right field, everything that get, gets hit in the air goes out, and he couldn't get it far enough over the stands. Come on. Put it in the rocks. Everybody That's can for put sure. it in the rocks. Yeah, absolutely. Pop up right field. Home run. What? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I, I messaged you guys uh, watching that Yankees game. Sorry to cut you off, Kelsey, but uh, they shouldn't count distance to right field because the, the the Blue Jays home run, and I was a little bit salty that they hit the home run anyways, went like 450 feet or something like that. I was like, that doesn't count. It doesn't count. That was exactly what I was going to say. Is During the during our color cast, Jimmy actually sent us a message about Yankee Stadium saying that, that is, they shouldn't count that because you looked at Gary Sanchez's, which was an absolute – you knew it was gone. It flew into the very, what, like third row of that left field seats, and it was only like 405, which is still a long home run by its own means. The the home run hit by the Blue Jays by Tesker Hernandez, he was, that was like 440, and yeah, it only went like six more rows deep. So, you know, what do you know? What do you know about distances in in Yankee Stadium nowadays? Uh, But just some unique things to look at that we've seen so far this opening weekend. That was very interesting to, to look at this entire. Dodgers Rockies series and just ha- what we can expect for this entire NL West going forward because even the Rockies can't lose them all. So with that, guys, we're going to head to break. We will be right back as we hear from a couple of messages from our network sponsors. What's up, everybody? It's Kelsey from the High Low Sports Podcast. You know, if you missed the brand new news, we have partnered with Fanatics.com. So if you're in market for a brand new t-shirt, brand new hoodie, brand new jersey, no matter the team, no matter the player, no matter the sport, Fanatics.com is your place to stop. Not only does this help support our podcast, but it helps support the entire Onion Sports Network. Check the link in our bio or go to OnionJSN.com. I'll be having DJ and the High Low Sports Podcast. See ya. What's up, everybody? It's Kelsey from the High Low Sports Podcast, and we recently partnered with Fubo TV. What is Fubo TV? Fubo TV is a service to broadcast live TV over the internet, no cable required. Watch your favorite teams, network shows, news, and movies on over 100 plus channels. You get channels like CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox, you can watch all the games. So go ahead, click that link in our bio, and get started on your seven day free trial. And stay tuned to some more great programming right here on the Unhinged Sports Network. And welcome back, everybody. As you just heard from Fanatics and Fubo TV, our network sponsors. If you guys haven't checked them out already, it is in all of our bios. Uh, just click on our bios. You find the links to both Fanatics and Fubo TV. Um, you can head over to ours over at Hilo, and it's just a link tree link. Same with Far End of the Bench. Um, Dorm Room, I know you guys have the links. You guys tweeted out about the links before. And Jim, I know you guys as well. So you guys can find it on all of our pages and the network page as well. Or head over to unhingedsn.com, and you can just click on the partners page, and they're both right there. Um, and it'll take you right to the pages. So be sure to check that out. And by the way, if you guys haven't bought your jerseys already, get to it. I mean, come on. It's 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 the brand new season. We gotta you gotta get a new lucky jersey because last year Yerba lucky Mercedes, jerseys didn't count. That was the perfect time to buy a Yerba Mercedes jersey <laughs> while the stock is high. Eight for eight. Exactly. Yeah, Yerba Mercedes is an absolute stud. Um, and like I said, we, we will probably get to him a little bit even more a little bit later. 
But we have some major events that happened in Major League Baseball this week that got, that were announced. Um, and to play off a little bit of what Jimmy said earlier about Major League Baseball and their management and just being all around pretty terrible and old school and being a possible dying game. For the first time in MLB history, they've decided to make a move that impacts society in a different way. They've actually t- decided to pull something that provides money to an area and move it because of something they found unjust or many deem unjust. As recently, Georgia lawmakers have passed voting laws that are that many de- deem to be very restrictive. Um, so the MLB, which the game was supposed to be held at Truist Park this year, has pulled both the All-Star game and the draft from the Atlanta area. They still will be following through with all their charitable donations and charitable plans for the areas and for the low-income areas that they planned on. However, the game and draft in itself will be moved to an un- uh, undecided location as of now. So they will no longer be in Atlanta. And as I said, MLB has long since been a very conservative organization who doesn't really get involved in a lot of things. Um, Unlike the NBA, unlike the NFL, the MLB has always kind of stayed really behind on a lot of these situations. But very ironically, considering this is the year that Hank Aaron was going to be celebrated at the All-Star Game, he still will be celebrated at the All-Star Game. MLB pulled something to help promote equality in the U.S., now the question becomes, for MLB, a, a as Jimmy mentioned, a potentially dying sport, is this a good move or is this damaging for the sport going ahead? And Jimmy, since you did talk about this a little bit earlier, I do want to start with you just because you did mention that this potentially is a dying game. So what are your thoughts on this entire all-star draft saga? I'll I'll say the reason that I call it a dying game is I, the best way that I heard it put was that nobody becomes a baseball fan anymore. You either grow up one or you just never really care about it all that much. You, you have people that, I mean, I, I'm proof that you can become a basketball fan later and, and everything like that. So that's where I, I start with it. It's interesting because I, I saw this on Twitter earlier this week and was kind of, you know, it was, I, I, for all the uh, political and, and all that other crap that we saw for so long in, in the past year, it was interesting to have this be the, the thing that popped up again. <clears throat> I, I do think that it's a smart move because if we do want to say that this, like the equality and everything as a country is what we should be doing, a lot of people pay attention to athletes and sports leagues in general. And if that's something that they can't tolerate, maybe other people might start mm-hmm. following suit and everything like that. My only issue is it seems like it's going to be a one-time thing, and I doubt the MLB does something like this again. I don't have faith that they're going to do it again because it took so long to get the first one. Why would this become a habit now? We already know that Manfred doesn't do the right things all the time, and this was one occasion where he kind of just swung and connected, and and now who knows what's going to happen later on. But if, if this was – the one thing I will say, too, if Georgia – if MLB told Georgia, hey, if, the, if you guys pass this law, we're not going to have the all-star game there, then I agree with them moving it. But if there was no conversation before, it does seem a little bit shady because, like you said, this is th- that would have been a huge weekend of commerce for Atlanta, for something, for every the country that hasn't had the ability to make money that way. It could have been a lot of revenue for the city. So I'm interested to see if there was actually an agreement before the game was moved. Yeah, that is a very good point. And and ironically, it's one of those things about Atlanta 
that's been one of the biggest supporter support areas for the MLB over this time we've called a dying time for the MLB. And a lot of their supporters are relatively conservative. Um, so Mitch, I do want to move, the, move this over to you. I mean, what is your thoughts on this one? It is, it is a big move. But to Jimmy's point, is it something that they can stand behind? Like, let's say the playoffs happen and the World Series is Atlanta versus somebody else. Do they then move the World Series from Atlanta? Is that something that they would have to do to follow up on this? Or what do you think? No, 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 definitely not. I mean, you can't you can't do that. But, but the, the All-Star Game is the MLB's event, so they have the right to move it wherever they want. Like the World Series, I think, to be completely separate things. It's like their, their home team. But I, I, I love what the MLB did here. I think they got a lot of positive publicity. Uh, and you talk about why it's a dying game. Well, it's a dying game because there's very few African-American or minorities that enjoy watching it in the U.S. Uh, and this is a positive step forward. You saw LeBron James, who's arguably one of the most uh, well-known people in the United States, tweeting about it, supporting it. Uh, there's a lot. I think it got a lot of positive support. I think it's a good first step. They're showing they're trying to be progressive. And Rob Manfred, I, I don't think he's a very good commissioner, but I think he made the right move here. And for the people that like, oh, I'm not watching the MLB because of this, this is outrageous. Those are fringe fans anyway. They weren't. You're not a true baseball fan if this is what it's making you like not watch the MLB if you disagree with the decision. So I think, uh, I think it was a good move. I think it's a positive first step. They have always kind of just been in the middle ground, and I think in today's times it's sports and politics are so mixed that like there's some some things you need to take a, a stand on and i think the mlb took a picked a good one to do it with and we saw the nba do this with charlotte too and <laughs> i think it it definitely affected how lawmakers legislation down there thought about it because they lost a ton of income coming into the state so um yeah no i i, I agree with the decision by the mlb here yeah as you mentioned this is the second straight second second year we've seen an all-star game be moved into sport in america with the all-star game in Charlotte last year being moved as well. Um, so that is a very interesting, or sorry, two years ago, the all-star game being moved as well. Um, so that is a very interesting aspect of it as well. And as you mentioned, they have been very neutral. They're, be, they're kind of like the Switzerland of most of the major sports. They just, and, and that's also plays into the part of their dying game. As you mentioned, their publicity doesn't get much out there because they stay so neutral on so many topics. It's usually a safe option, but sometimes when you have sports like NFL ML, or and NBA hitting a lot of these bigger civic issues, out of the park and you're sitting here just not really doing anything it does look bad especially when most of your most of the player base in the mlb at this point in time i think it's safe to say about 50 percent of the mlb is from other nations like caribbean nations especially so you do have a lot of multicultural aspects here that you haven't really ever touched on because you stayed neutral for so long um so that is a very interesting aspect now jim this is this is what you are down south so you are in the heartland of well, I guess you're in Florida, so you kind of don't count as the South, but you you at least have experience in, in, with a lot of these guys up in Atlanta. You've been to the been to the ballpark before. What are your thoughts on this this entire process? I think it's all show, and here's the reason why. Yes, it's good for the MLB what they did, and they're making a statement. The law is not going to be changed. It cannot be reversed. Why? Because they need a ninety. When this law was signed by the uh, by the state of Georgia. The legislator in Georgia, I don't, remember, I live in Jack, state of Florida. I'm not in Georgia. They have to have a 95% approval within the legislature to overturn such law. That's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take two years, three years, four years, maybe six years for them actually get people into office to change that law. So, yes, they made a statement. They disagree with it. 
they can't do nothing about it because the legislature won't – it has to be – right now they approved it. They voted in. I think it was like 86 percent voted it in. 86 percent voted it in. They needed 95 percent to overturn it. They need a lot of things to happen in the Georgia legislative for it to change. So when I heard this news, I'm like, okay, I understand MLB. I agree with the move, but you're in a losing battle. It's going to take years for it to be overturned or overturned in Georgia. And the only reason why it happened in Georgia, and then I'm seeing like real fans come out. It's like how how this is all racist. How this is against uh, how the MLB should move all the teams that have in states that have these similar rules to their voting voting system. If they do that, hopefully we like enjoying the Springfield Yankees and the and Manchester Red Sox because it's going to kind of suck because New York has a similar rules. Massachusetts has a similar rules. But the only reason why I think Georgia is so big is because of how close the last election was and how chaotic last election was. Now, if this happened like five years ago, I guarantee it won't be as crazy. But I agree with the MLB. But if you look at – I'm right here. I know I hear shit all the time. I just know that – they they passed the bill, and they screwed the future because now they may need two to three, maybe four election terms to get people in office to just override such law. And that's – yeah, that's that's difficult right there, and I feel bad for the people of Georgia. I feel bad for the Braves fans because the All-Star games are cool. I went to the All-Star game in Fenway when I was a kid. Thing was lit. Um, but yeah, it's it, it sucks for Georgia. It sucks for Hank Aaron because uh, Braves, legend, icon. It sucks for all the events they were going to try and do in Georgia. Um, actually uh, bring it in the uh, – what's the league that they um, – we were talking about it during the color cast. I'm, I'm, my mind's blank. Uh, the, the Negro Leagues, they're actually bringing back yeah. some of them to actually give them their due celebration in the, hall, in the Shrine and the Hall of Fame. So they were doing a lot of things this week, so it's a big, huge blow for Georgia. And I, for the fans of Georgia – and for the people in Georgia, you know what you do? You go vote those MFers out of office, and you get this law passed so we can get things back to going. So right now, it's, it's Georgia played a political game, and it's going to cost them thousands, millions, millions of dollars. Not thousands, yeah. millions of dollars, and I feel bad for the fans. Yeah, potentially billions. We talk about some of the All-Star games in the past. Has brought in revenue of the All-Star weekend of close to $1 billion in certain areas. San Francisco being one of them, it brought in over a $1 billion yeah. of revenue to the area. Um and now one thing I do want to I do want to ask you guys because as you mentioned this was going to be the Negro League celebration for them being brought back into the historical professional baseball uh, statistics and they're going to be celebrating Hank Aaron. So, I have I have three cities in my mind. They all have very historic Negro League ties or Hank Aaron ties. You have Mobile, Alabama who just recently lost their minor league team. They do have a professional quality stadium there though. Memphis, Tennessee, home of the Memphis Zephyrs or Sounds or whatever they're considered now. Uh, also home to the Memphis 905 soccer team who plays in the same stadium as the Memphis, I think it's Redbirds actually is what they are now, um, that minor league AAA baseball team. Or Kansas City, who is home to one of the greatest ever Negro League baseball teams. If you were to choose one of these three cities, as they have mentioned, they have not assigned a new location for the All-Star Game or Draft. But considering that's what the big celebration is this year, where do you send this this all-star game after removing it from Atlanta? And Jim, we'll go right back to you for this one. If, of those three cities or another city, if you have another city in mind, which city do you pick for this to go back to? Um, 
Actually, I say send it to the Chicago, the White Sox area. Uh, beca- I, I second that. <laughs> um, because Chicago has a rich history in baseball and both leagues. It was either Chicago or bring it to the majors, L.A. or New York. Go to the cities that have history for both Negro Leagues and Major League Baseball. But I think it's Chicago because uh, I think the Black Sox are from Chicago. And I think that would be a great ties. Or if you want to put it to well, Kansas City would be great, too. That would be a good location. But I think you bring it to Chicago because you have two Major League teams there. and yeah, I forgot. I think they had like nine Negro teams there, so that's a lot. We yeah, they do have a rich uh, uh, history. So, yeah, as far as Chicago. Just to clarify, though, for the Black Sox, that was just a bunch of white guys that cheated in the 1900s from gambling. So I wouldn't tie them in. With oh them. yeah, that's right. I don't know why I was saying. That. I understood what you were getting. Yeah, at. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but Mitch, we'll go ahead and head it to you. I mean, obviously Jim does make a good point with Chicago. Uh, that is a fantastic choice potentially. Where do you think this should go? Do you think it should go to one of the three cities I mentioned, or do you think they go somewhere alternatively? Um, that's a good question. I don't know where you would put because you need half the thing with the all-star game is like you, you're promoting it, like all leading up to it, like before, like during the off season, during the season, you kind of get some hype building around it. So wh- whoever you throw it to, they're, they're going to get a little bit short changed. I would think an alternative site would be kind of cool. Cause I know they have the rotation of like teams that do do it. So if they were to do it, it has some historic old stadium, uh, that that would be that'd be kind of cool, especially with COVID. It, I'm, I'm sure they won't be letting in full capacity with fans. You have like I know the the they have like the Field of Dreams game. You need like an alternative site like that, like the Cooperstown Field or something. That would be kind of cool. They won't do that, but I think something like that would be would be kind of cool. Yeah, that would be absolutely incredible. I mean, you mentioned the Field of Dreams one. That's where the Yankees Astros will be playing. Uh, I do believe that's next season. They're, they've rescheduled it for the third time to happen, um, and that's next season. And that's actually right down the road for me, which would be absolutely fantastic. I'd be so on board with that. Um, it's right outside of Chicago, too, so it's not too far. It's like three hours outside of Chicago, so not terribly far. But, Jimmy, taking the question over to you, where do you think they should move the game to? Honestly, I like the idea of it being in Kansas City because I know that they can have a successful All-Star game in Kansas City. It's, it's been there fairly recently. Um, one other thing, I, I was trying to think of it while we were talking about the initial of them moving it. This is not the first time that a state has lost the all-star game for a major professional sport. Arizona back in 1991, uh, their governor was <clears throat> very conservative and, and held, upheld some things. And the NFL actually pulled their the Pro Bowl from being held in Arizona. So I, it's not like this is the first time it, it's happened. But I think if you're going to go with the Negro League celebration and you can't have it in Georgia where Hank Aaron spent a good majority of time playing, Let's move it to a, a place where we know it can happen. Uh, Chicago would be, I mean, I know they can probably do, they could definitely do an all-star game in Chicago too. It's not like it's difficult, um, but they should probably look at keeping that heritage around in Kansas City or Chicago. I would, I'd be okay with both, but I did want to throw that out there. This isn't the first major all-star game that's been canceled or moved due to uh, civic civic stuff going on. Kansas City would be good too because they have the the Negro League Hall of Fame is down there as well. Yep. So that would be a that would be a solid choice if that was the, the team you wanted to go with. Yeah, and we talk about one of the greatest teams in history of the Negro Leagues and the Kansas City Monarchs yep. um, being there. So yeah, that is uh, that is an incredible one. Uh, there's also potentially Cleveland, um, the old Cleveland Buckeyes team being a potential stop as well. Uh, Cleveland hasn't hosted a um, All Star game in a while because well, Jacobs Field or now Progressive Field is 
so old. Wait, didn't they have it two years ago? They just because uh, was it they had it a couple years ago. I believe twenty eighteen. Okay. I wanted to say they. Hosted I know it. they they recently finished some some of the re revamping of the progressive field. So that's probably when it was was about three to four years ago. So. Yeah. Can we just it, can we just agree that it should be moved out of the south? I know that that's, that might be a point of contention, but it, it would seem stupid if you move it from Georgia and then put it in Mobile, where I know that there's a, I mean there's probably a lot of history with the Negro Leagues and everything like that. But home to Hank Aaron, that's that, the, that's why it comes up. Yeah, I, I I get that, but there's just so much racial history around that region, anyways. I think it would be beneficial. Unless you want to, unless that's the route that you want to take. If you want to commit to it being, you know, we moving it because of a racial like voting voting issue. If you want to stick stick to your guns and say, yeah, well, we're going to keep it in the region. I understand it, but I think it it'd be best to move it out of that little belt that we all know the history behind it. Yeah, as a guy who lived in the Bible Belt for as long as I did, and especially the Alabama, Georgia area, I can say that it is a very contentious thing to mention. Uh, but you guys did mention some of the more historic Negro League stadiums or even old stadiums. There are a lot of them in the South. Uh, Montgomery has one that is still being played into this day that is still upkept. That is actually home to um, a couple independent league uh, final like championship tournaments as well. And then Birmingham as well has them. But the problem is when you talk about Negro League baseball, it goes hand in hand with being in the South. So. Right. You know, uh, unfortunately, it is one of those things you have to stick with. And it does look like we will be losing Jim going forward in this one, says he has some some Easter issues to get to. <laughs> so, Jim, we appreciate you stopping into the show. Um, we'll, get, we'll see you next week. Uh, but moving forward, guys, we did have a first, um, first issue with COVID this season. And, again, it comes from the NL East because the NL East just seems to be the sprouting and home source of all COVID issues in the Major League Baseball over the last two years. Of course as the Nats and Mets were postponed and the Nats now have nine total players confirmed to be positive with another seven to eight being tested for close contact and an unknown amount on top of that, that are potential close contact cases. So this team who is currently sitting at home, not really doing anything because they have to quarantine is projected to either be able to play this upcoming weekend or the next Monday or Tuesday, I should say. But they'll be playing with potentially spring trainer, spring training guys. This will be like a B squad, a, a split squad B team from spring training. How do you guys feel about, first of all, we'll start with the NL East. The NL East is in, inability to keep themselves out of COVID issues. Like, how is that, how is that playing into things? And then on top of that, like the Nats, is this a, is this a death sentence for their season for already? And it's already been only a week. I mean, Mitch, we'll start with you on this one. It's too early to call it a death sentence because the season is 162 games long. So you can recover from a, a bad start or missing a couple games, but I, I can see where this would start to be a problem. Definitely. You lose, you lose a bit of a, a rhythm and, and it kind of screws over the other teams you play too. We saw this with the Cardinals last year and everyone had to keep playing these double headers and it kind of messed, messed you up. So um, not only screwing over yourselves, you kind of screwing over the rest of the league too. I just, it's important. Uh, and, uh, yeah, you don't want to blame them for getting COVID, but you got to make sure you're front. Like, I know, I know where you can see the light at the end of the tunnel, but these guys still got to stay diligent, especially when they're getting paid all this to make sure you're taking those extra precautions and whatnot, not getting too loose with everything. I mean, you see a lot of times, I don't know how the MLB is cracking down, but the games I've watched, uh, they don't really enforce the mask rule in the dugout. 
all that much. It's, uh, it's just, it's been very loose. And so stuff like this is bound, bound to happen while COVID is still a thing in the United States. Yeah, no, definitely. I mean, these guys aren't even being, at this point, most of them have not been vaccinated either. So that is something to think about. And I think, it, I think we talked about this last week as well. when we talked about them being the worst performing against the COVID like restrictions out of all the teams last year or yeah. out of all the, the leagues last year as well. So that's a big issue. Um, Jimmy, what do you think about all this, man? If it were handled the way I want to handle it, it would be a dead sentence because I think it's been proven that elite, that division can't handle themselves with COVID protocols. So I would have them forfeit the games that they're the reason can't be played. If it's, I think it gets to a point where if you're the cause for so many cancellations, we're not going to put the onus on these other teams to have to play 14 doubleheaders to finish up some part of their season because you guys were dumbasses and couldn't figure out how to follow the protocols like the rest of the league. I know that everybody has issues, but it's been proven that you can make things happen even with the virus going on. So I, I put onus on, on the team. And I think the only way that you can see this not happen is by being very strict about it. And all the games that you, that were missed, unless both teams had major issues, all the games that were missed should be losses on a team, especially like the nationals who just have so much going on, like so much COVID, like it's almost like one of them knew they had it. And then they all shared the same water bottle because they're like, Oh, this would be funny if, if, and obviously I'm making a joke about that. Don't clip that audio and make it make me say that this is funny. It's not funny. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, not, not pissed off because it doesn't affect me, but come on. Like you guys get to play a game. You guys get paid a lot of money to play this game. And all you have to do is take some extra precautions. That's all we're asking. Yeah. It's frustrating as hell for, for bystanders to listen to uh, and to watch this, all this happening, you know, because I think the only safe player on that on the nationals roster is Juan Soto who was, who was COVID positive last season. So he's the only one out of this team that might be just like, well, you guys screwed up. And you, you, you see a guy like Juan Soto last year go, go down with it. And you're, you're his teammate. Why would you sit there? And then this year have that exact same type of situation happen. I mean, this NL East, uh, we'll just talk about the NL East as a whole. You had the Marlins last year with their outbreaks. Like you talk about the Cardinals, Mitch, they, they were playing the Cardinals and then there's the Phillies. And then there is the Mets fiasco with, um, wow, Ioannis Espedes just completely leaving the hotel despite COVID restrictions, limiting them to the hotel, just said bye. They couldn't find him during COVID lockdown as they're playing a game in Atlanta. And he calls them up at like right before the game starts from his plane as it lands in New York saying, yeah, I'm just not going to play this rest of this year. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what it is about the Mets. They had the same thing with um, Matt Harvey, too, or he yeah. just went missing for a while. They're like, where the hell is Matt Harvey? He showed up late for his start, and I think he was, like, all hungover. Yeah, they – just with circus over there yeah, in New York. Yeah, it's, and this whole NL East is just kind of a joke when it comes to handling COVID. And maybe – as you as we talked about the South in the previous conversation, maybe that has a little bit to do with this whole situation. As most of the states that these these teams are coming from are probably the loosest restrictions as far as COVID protocols go. Anyways, we especially look at Florida and Georgia as being the top two, and they're just awful with their own handling of of the COVID restrictions. So maybe the teams follow that. I don't know what's going on, but that's just I mean it's ridiculous at this point in time that if you're the Nationals and you're a fan of the Nationals, your team hasn't even been able to play a game and won't play a game until three weeks into the season because your team couldn't keep themselves quarantined 
and and respect the game of baseball enough to keep themselves out of harm. Like I know sometimes things happen, but for nine people on the same team to go to, to be assigned an outbreak, I mean they get trained in five player individual segments during the day. So that's two that's two groups that have gone positive. You can assume maybe the tenth might have been Juan Soto from one of the groups, and that's why he's not one of the positive tests. But this, this is this is crazy to, to see all these outbreaks. And now the question is, if this happens down the road, what what's going to happen next for baseball? If we have another outbreak on this level of the Nats, like what's the next step for Major League Baseball? Do they go back into shutdown or the bubble? Or what's, what's the next thought, do you think? And Mitch, we'll go with you. For the MLB or just these two teams in, in particular? We'll just go MLB if there's another team that has a Nats-level outbreak. Uh, or maybe more, more teams. Maybe let's say we get five teams total that have a Mets level out or Nats level outbreak this season. Well, I think just to keep the scheduling thing, you would have to have like it would it should be you're you're playing your Triple A team or split squad. You have to call a bunch of guys up for that. Although that would might mess up the minor league schedule then too. I think you just they might have to start taking forfeits. You can't field the team. The other team's getting a free win, and that'll make you. Well, make sure you're following everything and you're getting all your – that'll make you take it a lot more seriously if it's starting to cost you uh, victories and, and revenue with fans and TV money because you can't get that game in. So uh, the teams are taking a lot more seriously all of a sudden because you're starting to have to forfeit game. Yeah, that is a very good point. And, Jimmy, to your point, I mean, Mitch hit, Mitch hit the nail on the head. He, he agrees with you with giving forfeits out and, and, and hitting them where it hurts, which is the wallet. Is that the best method yeah. for, for the Major League Baseball to take if this happens going forward? I think so. I think up until the playoffs where you, you have to have some sort of an actual physical winner on the field, I don't think you can forfeit any kind of playoff or World Series games for sure. But looking at the the standings now, you know the, the Nationals and Mets are only a game back because the, the Phillies are 2-0 and and then the Mets and Nationals are 0-0. So they don't get to play, yet they get to hold down second and third in the division just because they're dumbasses and, and got sick. I, you you gotta. We, we saw the NHL start off pretty strict, and and things have been calming down a little bit now for for hockey. You got to figure out some way to kick these guys in the balls, kick the owner in the balls. Like, hey, follow the damn protocols. It, this is not new. Like last season, the protocols were all new. Nobody really understood what was going on. We've had a full year to understand what what is okay and what is not okay. And if you're doing stuff that's not okay, it should reflect in the loss column and. And I, I didn't even think about the revenue because that's that's pretty much why the owners don't care right now. They're going to get double headers. They're going to make it up. If you take away that spot, I think you start seeing a change very quickly. So I, I think that that is the only way I think we see this kind of cleared up, especially in that division. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with you guys on that. Uh, the wallet seems to be the most influential place to hit these these players and these teams. Because imagine players don't get play, don't get paid for games they don't play in either. So I mean, they lose game checks for team for games they don't play in if it's not injury or COVID related. So that's something to consider. Um, if they make that part of it, like you tested positive, you don't get your game checks. Well, there they go. They're gonna they're gonna take quarantine a whole lot more serious. But speaking of teams that have made a comeback in all of this situation, the Astros. I mean, what is going on out there for Houston in in Oakland? Because right now they are outscoring the A's. 25 to 7 through their three games with another game to be played tonight. Is this just the Astros being good again? Or is this just a matter of the A's are maybe not what we cracked them up to be, considering 
I think we were all high on the A's coming into the season, potentially being a wild card team or winning that Western Western division. So, I mean, what's what's going on out there, Jimmy? I want to start with you on this one because uh, this is this is crazy to watch. Let's make sure that the Astros don't have trash cans in their dugout or uh, any wires or anything like that. No, I mean. They, they suck. I, I hate the Astros, but they are a good team. They were still a good team last year. They, they were still successful. That's the thing. I, I don't blame the Astros for them still being successful because that's on the league. The league should have taken more of an action against what they did, and we probably would have seen them pay for it a little bit more. I'm not too down on that. On the, I think that they'll bounce back. It's three games into the season, so it looks outrageous right, right now, especially with the plus 19 and minus 19 potentials that they have but I think that everything will balance out but I would put the the success of the Astros more in the plate of Manfred not not taking them not taking their violation seriously and then like I said make sure that the A's take out anything that can be used to give away pitches um, in their stadium when they play the Astros yeah I mean that that stadium by itself in uh that Coliseum is pretty barren to begin with considering it's mostly just concrete and uh well more concrete it seems to be all that's in that stadium. But, yeah, to your point, hopefully no, they don't have any trash cans. But, Mitch, we, we've we've lambasted the Astros many a times already yeah. on these short two, episode, two episodes of the, the podcast. But, uh, you know, what are, you, what are your thoughts on this team so far? It's, I know it's only been three games, but everything looks good for them, especially you look at Jordan Ventura, and he's looking fantastic, looking like 29 Jordan. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I credit it to two things. One, when you're getting ripped, by everyone in the media and all these other teams. And you see it even in this opening Oakland series, they're getting booed. He gets hit by the pitch and everyone erupted. Uh, I think they were mocking him too with their intro song. It was like some Taylor Swift, Swift song about cheating as they were like doing the starting lineups, but like, it kind of rallies you together. It's like, everyone's out to get us. So it's, it's kind of like a rallying cry for them that I think they're going to use as good motivation, especially now that there's fans in the stands that are going to be heckling them. Cause that people don't forget and they want to hold it against them. So uh, I, I think that is it underrated factor that's going to help the Astros a lot and big motivators like hey we can win this without the cheating and two they're just get they got talent I mean cheating aside they have talent it's the same thing kind of with steroids now mind you it's a huge advantage knowing what pitch is going to come so I'm not taking that away from like obviously it was bogus what they did but it's still you still got to have the hand-eye coordination everything to hit the pitch just because you know what's coming doesn't mean you're going to hit it the guys are good hitters they're good baseball players there's a reason they're in the major leagues they're talented team so uh, I think, yeah, this shows me more like, hey, the Astros are still here to stay. They're still a threat in, in the AL. I, I've been very impressed, uh, more so than the A's just being not very good. But it's still very early. We'll see. But I think those two things are – I think the Astros are going to be a sneaky good team this year. Mitch, you guys have the best soundbite that gets played over the network. I, I don't know if it was you or your co-host, but yeah. sex with a goat. <laughs> yes. People still freak out when they hear it on ColorCast when we're playing ads. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was one of our uh, finer segments. Oh, it's it's true. Like you can say, I mean, we don't need a reaction. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, to your point of uh, of you know, you actually make the same argument I make for why Barry Bonds was still a Hall of Fame potential player before steroids. He still had the hand eye coordination. He still had the know how. Still had all the talent to be a Hall of Fame player. Then he decided to get steroids involved, and well, we all see how that turned out. And then he learned how to hit home runs. Suddenly, who knew that home that that they could, that you could do that that way. Um, but then one thing I was, I mean, I saw something out of this this series that we talk about playing heads up and playing aggressive. The Astros, I mean, Jose Altuve took home 
on an infield fly from the edge of the grass. Like, literally took Starling Castro, who by all means does not have a bad arm. He's not the most heads-up defensive player. Or sorry, not not, uh, Elvis Andrews, sorry. Is not the most heads-up defensive player to begin with, but he does have a hell of an arm. Catches the ball on the outfield grass, and Jose Altuve tags up at third and takes home. Like, this is this Astros team, yeah, they're rallying together, but they're also playing really aggressive, really intelligently as well, which is a very undersold part of their game and something that the old Astros that won the World Series did a lot of, for yeah. sure. So that is something very interesting just to look at, the way the Astros have come back after COVID, and it's just like, oh, hey, by the way, we're good, even though we lost – you know, George Springer. Doesn't mean we forgive him, though. It's just no. like, like, like the goat thing. You, you still had sex with the goat. You're not yeah. living that down. You still, you still were banging on trash cans. You still cheated. So I'm good. I actually think it's good for baseball, though. Having the villain aspect, I think, is great. That there's a team that everyone's rooting against. They're like, yeah, <laughs> screw these guys. I think that's great for the game. You need a villain. Like basketball was Kevin Durant and LeBron for a while when they jumped teams. Now that we got the Astros, I think this can only help the game. Yeah, no doubt. And, and Jimmy, as a wrestling fan, you can you can attest that hills are some of the best parts of wrestling as well. Um, so for sure. Yeah, it doesn't go unless you had a bad guy to beat. Yeah, see, there you go. So everybody has a, a big bad now um, in the Astros to fight against, along with the Yankees and Red Sox still being out there as the big bads in the in the AL East. So and for those in the NL, I mean, we still have the Dodgers and Padres to deal with. Not that you guys really care about those guys until the until the until the World Series. Yeah. <laughs> But moving forward, guys, we're just we're wrapping up the show. So I want to get you guys' final thoughts on this opening weekend. Brought to you by Fubo TV. If you guys don't already know about Fubo TV, go check it out. Cut your cord. Quit paying high cable bills. It helps you watch all the MLB games because they do have an MLB contract. So as long as the games aren't on ESPN, which they do have ESPN hooked up to Fubo TV as well, so you can watch it right there, or watch it through the MLB programming, so you can see all the games all year long. You won't miss a single one of the 162 games from your favorite team. So be sure to check that out, guys. Well, Jimmy, since you're the this is your first first time on the show this this season, I want to start with you. I want to get your final thoughts from this opening week of weekend of baseball. It could be anything unsolicited, whatever you have to say about this opening weekend. Now is the time to get it off your chest. What did you see? First off, if you follow the podcast Twitter uh, at FEOTB Pod, it was not me saying that the Rockies were 162 and 0 until proven otherwise. That was my co-host. He got a little excited for the upset win on opening day. Uh, I, I like I said, this weekend showed me about the two teams that I follow. The Rockies, they will have an ability to win. I don't know if they have the talent, but if they wanted to go full small ball, money ball, I don't care if he gets hits. I care if he gets on base, kind of thing. That would be their biggest asset to be able to win a lot more games than what they will. Like I said, it probably goes from 60 to about 80 if that happens. Uh, the other thing, like I said, the Yankees, they got to get better at scoring without hitting home runs. And we said that we would talk about the bottom of the eighth, but we got runners on first and third, one out. Anything hit to the third base side, that third base runner should either be just staying there or – like we, we've said, put the ball in play, put pressure on the defense. Don't make it so easy that as soon as the ball is hit for, to the third baseman, even though he's going to the first base side, don't run on that. You can't run on MLB third baseman from third to home when the ground ball is hit to them. Whether it was weak or not, it was just a bad move. And, and that's something that you learn in your very first few years of baseball. As soon as you're running on the base paths, you know if it gets hit to the third baseman, you wait until they throw it all the way over to first, and then you can put pressure on them if you're fast enough. So 
small ball is making a comeback. That, that'll that be my final thought. Small ball can help the Rockies win, and small ball is what the Yankees need to do if they're going to actually get anything out of this all-star lineup. I like it. All right. I, I love small ball. I'm a big small ball fan, even though I was never a big proponent of it in my days being the bigger guy that I am. Um, home runs were more of my game because, well, I hate running. I'll be completely honest. I was known as the blur on the base path, ironically, but I was actually a thousand on all my stolen base attempts because I didn't steal unless it was obvious that I could make it. It's called being smart, you know, right. smart base running. But <laughs> Mitch, we're going to take it over to you because since Jim has is, Jim is left us on this episode. So Mitch, what are your final thoughts from this opening weekend? What is your takeaway? I was very impressed with the Toronto Blue Jays. And we talked last week how this is a good team that could compete. And I thought they were a year away just because uh, they have a lot of young guys. And the big bad Yankees are kind of like the favorites in the AL. But that opening day win, I think, is going to go a long way for their confidence. You go to New York. You beat a Yankees team starting Garrett Cole, who is the best pitcher in the AL at this point, to come out with a win on extra innings. That's a lot. That's very confidence building the rest of the year. Like, hey, there's a warning shot. We're here. We're, we're, we mean business for the rest of the division. They won today, so they took two or three from New York. So that's a team I wouldn't want to mess with. And that's a big confidence booster for them going forward. And then you remember Mercedes uh, might be the GOAT. Uh, his bat-bats are becoming can't miss. Sorry, I had to fill my uh, White Sox propaganda quota. But um, – yeah, you know, good for you. Toronto is that that was impressed with them. And then you watch German and Mercedes at that. So you, you only get the chance to see him tonight, hopefully. Uh, you're yeah. doing a podcast, but it should be a good game. Dylan Cease is going to start off his Cy Young campaign tonight. It should be a fun one. So, yeah. So when we're recording, we are recording this on Sunday. So DJ and I for the Hilo podcast are doing the Sunday night game of the White Sox versus Angels. So we will get to see your dark horse for the Cy Young, which is your first final thoughts uh, from, from our first episode was Dylan Cease was going to be your hot pick for being a Cy Young, your dark horse. And so we'll get to see that tonight. And we'll also get to see Shohei Otani making his return to the mound. Um, very interesting. He's yeah. one of the more – Shohei Otani might be the most valuable member of that team. Not the best player, obviously, Mike Trout. But as far as value goes, his ability to pitch, they can get him to the spot they want pitching-wise. Because he, he's, he's impactful in that lineup where he gives Trout a lot of protection. There's been times during the series where it's like, shit, we want to pitch around Trout but you have Otani ahead of him and then uh, with Rendon behind him. So uh, they can get him throwing because that's the one thing the Angels need is some pitching depth and they get him to the level they think he can be. He Watch out. That could be a sneaky good Angels team. Absolutely. I will 1,000% agree with that. Um, also, they have a sneaky guy over coming up coming up out of the uh, minors, Joe Adele, who has yes. potential to being a rookie of the year if he gets enough playing time this year to make it there. But going to my final thoughts, I'm actually going to stick with the idea of Rookie of the Year, and I'm going to go and take it to the NL East, back to the NL East, and talk about Jazz Chisholm for a second. He's my dark horse, and I actually have a, a personal relation. I, I've met the guy many a times. I used to sell him a lot of Jordans when he was with Missoula Osprey in single-A ball when he was first drafted with the Diamondbacks organization, and we got to talking about baseball a lot when he'd come in. And I knew the kid and, and knew, knew exactly what he had to say and how he felt about baseball, and seeing his, his debut last season, seeing what he could do on the base pass. I was like, all right, yeah, this guy could be really good. And then seeing the progression he's made already this season, he's only hitting 200. However, two of the most exciting stolen bases I've seen recent, in recent memory that gave them the lead and got them their only victory on the season this year, Jazz Chisholm from the, from, from the base pass is going to be an absolutely electrifying monster all season long. And he won the starting job outright at second base for a team who, but remind to remind everybody, one of their owners is Derek Jeter, who knows a thing or two about playing middle infield, um, so he knows how to find prospects like that. So, 
Jazz Chisholm to me, I'm looking at him. I'm looking at his batting average, looking at, at what he can improve on. Obviously, that batting average is a big part. Get that thing up above 300. Get on base some more. But he's already has two stolen bases, two runs scored in 10 appearances, or 10 at-bats. Not much more you can ask for from a young young rookie on the season when a lot of guys are hitting still 150, 167. You know, it's early on in the season. So I'm looking at Jazz Chisholm, and that's my guy to watch out for this season because he has been playing absolutely fantastic. And probably to me so far, and obviously I'm taking a, a step out there and saying that he's been my most exciting player to watch this early season, not name Mercedes for the White Sox. He has been the most exciting player that I've had to watch and been, been keeping an eye out. And I did name him as a dark horse for Rookie of the Year in the NL, and I'm going to stick by that wholeheartedly because he is he's going to be fun to watch all season long, guys. Um, but to wrap it up, let's let everybody know how to find you guys. And Jimmy, again, since you're the new guy on the podcast this week, you get your opportunity to say it first. Let everybody know how to find you on Fire Under the Bench and when you guys are working on and any projects you guys are working on. Yeah, Nico and I, Far End of the Bench, every Wednesday on the Unhinged Sports Network, 1 to 3 p.m. Eastern is our premiere time, unhingedsn.airtime.pro. Um, and then it's available immediately afterward on demand. We have some replays throughout the rest of the week. I know one of our big ones is Friday afternoon. We get the drive time slot on Wednesdays and Fridays. So check us out live on the network there. We Also subscribe to us on demand and uh, leave a rating and review because we've been saying it a while. If we get some good reviews, we'll read them on the podcast uh, follow that page at FEOTB pod, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, we do have a TikTok. I post clips from our YouTube clips there. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, the far end of the bench. Um, and then if you turn on the unhinged sports network at some random time, there's a good chance you'll be hearing me. Uh, I host the two for chirping hockey show. When football starts back up, I host the cover six show that Kelsey is a part of. And then, like I said, I do the film room review every now and then with Carlos uh, and then this Wednesday, actually, I filled in on main event marks. So Kelsey mentioned I'm a big wrestling fan. I get to talk, not WWE, but TNA, Total Nonstop Action Wrestling. Uh, I stepped in and did that with Troy. So be sure to check out main event marks Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on the Unhinged Sports Network. Uh, I think that's it. And also check out the blogs, unhingedsn.com. There, that's yeah. it. <laughs> it's it's so hard to keep up with. You're, 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 you're probably one of the more influential guys you, you, you got a finger in everything you know you, you have everything going on the on the network and it's funny you guys talk about some of your some of your more uh, positive reviews uh dj and i take the opposite approach we go for negative reviews we want we want somebody to, to burn us and we will talk about it because you know what there's a, there's no more entertaining thing than to put a put a put a trash talker in their place really as long as you put it with a five-star rating your review can be anything if it's yeah. if it's good enough to read that's fine just make sure it's a five-star rating we don't want two-star ratings if you're going to roast us at least give us five stars and then we can we can deal with you roasting us yeah give us a chance <laughs> give us a chance to review pro- properly for sure <laughs> and and mitch obviously coming back on the show week two we i'm like i said in week one man i'm glad to have you part of the show um i knew you know we talked about baseball a lot leading up to this so we had an opportunity and you and i actually had a long discussion about college football playoffs so that was you know that was that was our first introduction to each other and then that was actually a lot of fun and then we brought you on the show and this has been a fantastic time so far and we, the ratings too. i don't know what you did you moved the needle though it was one of our highest rated episodes this year. hey it's what it's what i do best i am the, i am the needle mover i am uh, kelsey's island on cover six so you know i i have a little bit of a I, I i can't even lie to you guys i have no idea what i do people just love to hate me that's that's all it is and that's that's how they tune in. <laughs> but Mitch, obviously, tell everybody how to find you and what what type of projects you guys are working on over at Dorm Room. 
Yeah, well, same thing. Uh, at, follow us on Twitter, at Dorm Dispute. You'll get most of our episodes that we post on there. You can also find us on Spotify. And then we have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, once again, at Dorm Dispute. Once football starts, we'll get the free money uh, betting picks going again. Um, but, yeah, uh, other than that, our new time slot at Unhinged got moved to Thursdays at 5 o'clock instead of Wednesdays now. But you can still – our episode will usually uh, be posted on Wednesday, and then you can hear us live Thursday afternoon at 5 on Unhinged Sports. And then as far as projects go, I've just been I, mostly working on a lot of White Sox blogs. So uh, yeah. if you follow me on Twitter, you probably catch the Yerman Mercedes one. Just did one on the uh, bullpen with the Michael Kopech and Garrett Crochet. So if you like baseball, specifically the White Sox, uh, you, you, there's definitely some interesting articles posted there. If you want to read. And, and what's your what's that Twitter page that you, you post those ones on? Uh, at Mitch Kaminsky 99. There you go. Yeah, that's how you follow him on there. He has some fantastic articles for the White Sox. Uh, does a great job writing for them as well. Uh, and you know, honestly, it's 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 funny. You guys talk about the uh, you guys' free picks. You guys won me some money last year, so uh, so yeah, appreciate. Hey, that there one. you go. <laughs> we, oh, we had one free money pick this week. It was UCLA plus fourteen on the podcast. So if you listen in there, there's a couple sneaky ones. So yeah, we, we so, there you go. And if you guys if you guys need any help with betting, that's your that's your go to right there, um, for sure. As well as far end house. So I know you guys do a couple things over there on far end as well for some bets. DJ and I kind of steer away from the betting because our luck on betting is like. It's stupid. The, the stupid picks we make win. The good picks we make lose. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it is. Uh, yeah. It, it is all luck. There's a reason it's not a free TA. It's a reason it's called gambling, not a free ATM. Uh, it's, uh... We have a joke on our show with Nico has a bad weekend of betting. He's just posting the video from Family Guy. Like, I'd, I'd like to place a sports bet. It's like, you want to pick a team? No, just take it. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. it. That's, that's exactly how I felt all March Madness uh, for men's and women's tournament as I had. Both UConn and South Carolina selected as my potential champions um, in the betting pool. Obviously, neither one of those are an option. And I had Houston as my dark horse betting-wise. And because Gonzaga's odds were just – they were the only positive team. Like, they're the only one you lose money on for your bet, so I'm not betting that. So I had Houston as my dark horse. And that, obviously, again, I was fooled by Houston, so go figure. Uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, forget betting. I'm just going to take, take, take a year off of betting and see what yeah. happens, and we'll come back to that. Uh, but as for me, I'm working over at far into the, or sorry, not far into the bench, Jimmy, I'm joining your show guys. I'm your third co-host now. So you're welcome. Uh, Nico might not enjoy that. As much. <laughs> but, Come but on, no, I, more the merrier. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So no, I'm over at high low sports uh, with DJ every Thursday at 2 PM Eastern time. So we actually go at 2 PM Eastern time. This show airs at 3 PM Eastern time and Mitch's dorm room dispute airs at 5 p.m. Eastern time. So we run in a row on Thursdays. So we hold up you for a whole whopping close to four hours. So be sure to tune in for all that. That's a lot of fun. Uh, this week, we have a really special episode coming. Normally, we're doing our draft extravaganza, which will still be released to all of our platforms where we go over each different conference in the NFL and talk about you know who, who they need, where they need. This, year, this week is going to be the North, so NFC North, AFC North. But that's going to be on our platform. We're doing a special interview with the creator of Belly Up Sports Podcast Network, uh, Mike Brown, who has actually agreed to reach out and talk to us because, you know, as we are on network, the Unhinged Sports Network, we are still growing. We've only been out for about seven months at this point in time. As Jimmy mentioned, we're working on a lot of blogs on Unhinged SN. So we're going to bring him in. We're going to bring Mike Brown in because they've been doing this for close to three and a half years, almost four years now. And so he has a lot of experience. We're going to talk to him about a lot of the ups and downs and just his sports knowledge in general. So that's going to be a fantastic episode coming up this week, but really that's all we got working on. So go check us out on Twitter at high underscore low underscore sports. And for everything else, we have all your needs at, un at the unhinged sports network. So follow us at un at network unhinged 
on Twitter. And you can follow, follow, also follow Jim at J-Show on Twitter. He does the J-Show as well. Be sure to follow that Twitter page and check out the Unhinged Sports Network 24-7 live podcast all year round, every day, 365 days of the year. And you do that, you go to unhingedsn.airtime.pro and you can t- tune in live to what we have going on. So until next time, guys, we'll see you later.